You're listening to the Pastoral Calling Podcast with Matt Loverin and me, Jim Shamaria. Our aim is to start a conversation about life and leadership in the local church. And if you like what you hear, why don't you subscribe on iTunes to make sure you don't miss an episode and leave us a quick review to help others join in on the discussion. everybody, I'm Jim. And I'm Matt. And this is the first edition of our podcast. We're excited to spend some time talking with each other, talking with some guests, and hopefully interacting with some of you out there in podcast land, listening in wherever you may be. Uh, but before we get into anything, why don't we talk a little bit about what we're going to do and why we're going to do it. Yeah, so it's a brand new podcast, and it begs the question of why do another podcast? There are a lot of podcasts out there you could be listening to, a lot of ministry-based podcasts. But for us, we really wanted to uh, provide an intentional space where we could process through our own thinking of what it means to be in ministry, what it means to do the work of a pastor and work in a local church. Maybe we want to talk a little bit about what this podcast is for, like what we want to do with it, not just the why of it, but what it's for. And one of the things that that this is born out of is our conversations about the tension that's out there in ministry right now. And there's a a big tension, and uh, we feel the tension, and we're caught in the middle of it. We both minister in small churches of... 100 to 200 yeah. attenders depending on the week and yeah. if it's you know if it's Memorial, uh, Memorial Day, Day <laughs> you may have 60 people in your Spring congregation break. and if it's the first Sunday back from the summer you may have three times that many right. people in your congregation you never know uh, planning ministry around uh, the fluctuating attendance of a West Michigan congregation <laughs> but there is a deep tension out there between uh, a kind of small Uh, church mentality that involves a lot of nurturing and soul care and attention to the needs of people on an individual basis and a really big, on the other end of the spectrum, a really big emphasis on church growth, on evangelism, on uh, progress and programs and structure, growth in numbers and structure and administration and um, kind of a, a mega church or a super pastor mentality uh, that puts a lot of pressure on ministry. Yeah, and one of the things that I've kind of found is like, I'm naturally going to gravitate towards the relational ministry, but I can only do that to such a degree because of the fact that my church is essentially built upon a church growth <laughs> mentality. When my church came about in the early 1990s, um, it was very intentionally based upon a lot of the ideas and concepts of the church growth movement. And so for the last 20 years or so, that's how the church has been shaped, right? By, by the way that it was, is formed. And so now that I've been there as a full-time you know, senior pastor for three years or so, there's only so much I can do without completely confronting <laughs> the, the structures that are already established. And so there's like this tension where I really want to engage in like the deep 
personal house church almost ministry with people, but I can't do that because it's like these plates are spinning and they mm. started spinning 20 years ago and you can only do so much before the whole thing just falls down. And so I can imagine a pastoral transition where the one pastor is spinning <laughs> plates and another pastor has to come in and pick up the plates and yeah. keep them spinning. Exactly. Yeah. And I think eventually, you know, that, that could happen, but it takes a long time to, to develop a un, unstructured or at least a different structure in the church. And so there's this tension where I want to do deep relational ministry, but I have to keep the structures going because that's how my church works. Um, and I would say that that's probably true, not just of my church, but of the entire American church <laughs> culture today is built upon, you know, what happened in the 80s and 90s during that church growth movement. And so, yes, and your, uh, I think your church leadership, this has been my experience, is that church leadership really looks to those church growth models and right. the same models that we learned when we were in Bible college. Right. And uh, the, the Willow Creek and Saddleback models of, you know, your church should be growing. And then eventually when your church gets too big for your facility, you go to two services or you go to three services right. or you divide and you plant another church. Right. And that, that creates a lot of pressure, not just in the mind of the pastor, but in the mind of lay leaders who think, well, if our church is not growing numerically, then we're not succeeding. Right. We're not accomplishing our mission. Right. I had this conversation with some people who had just started attending our church and their experience had been in these, these big churches. They came right during a period of, of exponential growth for us, which again, exponential is dependent on where you begin. But uh, we had, you know, grown maybe five to 10% within a, a, a year or so period. And they were part of that growth. But when they came in, they didn't see the type of numbers that they were used to in their big churches. They didn't see the type of new people coming in. And so they wanted to sit down with me and talk with me about how they felt like there must be something wrong because the church is not growing in an exponential way that they thought should happen. And I had to explain to them, first of all, like they are a result of growth. But second of all, like that's just not what we do that's not who we are and so i think that just goes to show of the prevailing perception that if there's numbers if the numbers aren't changing the church can't be healthy and that's just wrong <laughs> and i think it's it's damaging to the local church it's damaging to the psyche of the pastor who like has to live with that pressure over their head of you got to be growing or else there's something wrong but i think that's from our perspective. At the same time, we don't want to be overly critical of uh, the mega church, which I think technically is defined as more than 300 people. Right. Uh, average church size in America is something like 75. Right. Uh, 200. We're average. Just keeping that, keeping that <laughs> middle, keeping that midline. Yeah, so I personally believe that there is value in all incarnations of the church. I think the big church, I mean, you and I had some really profound growth experiences in a mega church mm -hmm. during, you know, a few years back. We spent some time learning from the teaching there and just seeing how they their community operated. And for me, like I look back at that period of my life as a really strong growth period. Yet now where I find myself is not in that. And so that experience has allowed me to say there's value in all areas. And so we're not, again, criticizing or critiquing 
our point is just to talk about where we are and what we're doing. And for us, it's engaging with the intimate reality of the small local church and being okay with the fact that we're part of a local small mm-hmm. church. And I think if there's a critique or a resistance that that you're our listeners are going to hear in the podcast as it goes on is a critique of the perception that all churches ought to be mega churches with multi-staff, big administrative programs, big worship budgets and worship bands and superstar worship leaders, uh, that every church has to be a mega ministry or you're somehow failing. That's, first of all, just not our experience of church. Mm -hmm. And we don't think that is... Uh, accurate with respect to the biblical presentation of what the local church should look like. Um, and, and second of all, it would be really damaging to our churches to try to move that direction. Uh, it, the people can't sustain that if that's not what that local incarnation of the church is. I, I have a hard enough time doing what I am doing to think about adding, you know, whatever other ministries to it is just overwhelming, just, just the thought of it because I need to have that relationship with my congregation. If I don't have that, I don't feel like I'm succeeding in the ministry I've been called to. And so to add all these things on to try to be something that my church never should be um, is damaging to our ministry. So hopefully this gives you a taste of what our podcast will be like. It's really meant to be uh, centered around this intersection of scripture, preaching, uh, Bible teaching, uh, application to ministry, local church life. Um, We'll have different pastors on, hopefully that we can interview, hopefully all of it benefiting the life of the church. So this is the portion of our podcast where we are going to be inviting a guest in to talk a little bit about their ministry. And so our first guest is Gary Spikerman. Yeah, we're really honored to have you here on our first podcast, Pastor Gary and Dad. Gary is my father-in-law. I'm married to his (laughs) oldest daughter. And so we've known each other for quite a number of years. And I've been a part of your pastoral ministry for more than a decade. So we've had a really, not just a family relationship, but a close working relationship in the ministry. So thanks so much for being here today. Thank you. It's great to be here. We wanted to start out by talking about that transition of some of the transitions you've gone through in pastoral ministry, which are really unique. And uh, the biggest ones, maybe, uh, at least from my perspective, would be your coming out of 20 plus years of pastoral ministry, local church ministry, to teach pastoral ministry at Grace Bible College in 2007. And you did that for about seven years, teaching, uh, and we worked together as colleagues and professors. You taught and mentored students, pastoral ministry students. You took them all over the country, did all kinds of training with them, and sent them out. Uh, And then, uh, about two years ago, felt the call to return to full-time pastoral ministry Mm -hmm. uh, at a local church. So, just wanted to ask you, what was your experience like of going from ministry to teaching Mm -hmm. to back to ministry? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Um, Matt, that was uh, the transition, I think, from the classroom, especially going back into pastoral ministry. Eugene Peterson's book, uh, The Pastor, mm. was a real significant read that we had the students uh, read during, what, five years, I think, as we went through the introduction to pastoral ministry. And as I read that uh, book, Eugene Peterson's description of the pastor really ignited some of that call that I had, what, 20-some, 22 years before we came here to mm -hmm. the school. And as he talked about the messiness of uh, ministry, mm -hmm. and he talked about getting into the lives of people, <laughs> he would describe the academic world as being kind of neat and tidy <laughs> mm -hmm. in the classroom. And ministry in the pastoral is just so much different. That's really interesting because Jim was actually one of your first students in, was. in pastoral ministry, and uh, you've referenced that same book. That Eugene book Peterson's. was, yeah, probably one of the more shaping books for me in my understanding of, yeah. of ministry. I am reading that book again today. In fact, I have it off the shelf, and I've got it in my bedroom, hmm. and I'm going back reading some of the highlights because of just the, uh, the way that he paints the picture of what a pastor looks like. Yeah. It really has been helpful for me. It's really funny to me as an academic uh, to hear both of you talk about that book because I had heard of both your recommendations and I went and I tried to read the book, yeah. Eugene Peterson's The Pastor, and felt like I was beating my head against the wall. This is not, <laughs> this is not what I do. This is yeah. not the kind of yeah. deep relational connection with lay people that I do in my academic work with students and so I felt that really spoke to some of the differences in our callings. Yeah. But that's also I think Matt where your connectedness on the academic world that I want to say that I see you doing some of that pastoral things mm. here on the campus with your students that I think breathes life into that academic world. <laughs> yeah, that so there's connectedness. There's that crossover between <clears throat> there is. theology and pastoral ministry that or the academy and pastoral ministry that needs to happen. How do you separate that? I don't know right. if we can. I think a good pastor has that academicness that has to challenge the mind. Yeah. But it also has to challenge the heart, too. <laughs> and I think when you put those two together, <clears throat> I think that's what... I've heard it said many pastoral times ministry. by different pastors, you have to keep the water fresh. Yeah. You have to keep your own well fresh if you're able to give yeah. as a pastor to give to your congregation. You have to be reading. You have to be studying. You have to be challenged with new ideas. Otherwise, you'll grow stagnant and the what you have to give to your congregation won't be the same. So you went back <laughs> to ministry and uh, when you returned, yeah. you kind of embarked on a, a mission or a, a vision that's a little bit maybe the word disruptive to like how church structures have been or at least how kind of our 21st century American church has been structured. Can you, you talk a little bit about kind of some of your vision as you went back into ministry? Yeah, Jim, there was some somebody, and I don't know if it came from somebody in our congregation, that made this statement when we first went to the pastorate, when we went back into the pastorate. Um, <clears throat> I've never been in my pastor's home. Hmm. And I don't know if that was stated in at Parkside, but I remember hearing that statement. And I said to my wife when I went home, I said, you know what, we need to invite 
our people into our home we need to make available our home. I think the technology today is creating an environment of loneliness and an environment that is creating a very self-absorbed uh, soul. Mm -hmm. And I think the challenge for the church, maybe we need to go back <clears throat> to some of the, um, the things that, that, that our soul needs. And I think technology is a great tool. I think we need to use it. But I also see the the need for us to be connecting with one another in real life settings and the best place to do that is in our homes <laughs> and so we made a goal we tried to set a goal to say how many people can we have of our church into our homes over the next three four months and so from february through i guess it was february march april may every Tuesday and Thursday night we invited 10 to 12 people mm. into our homes and we provided a meal for them and that was really significant that was a, a that really uh, gave us when I talk about us my wife and I just some real sense of um, where people were at and to see them just um, coming in uh, and interacting with one another <clears throat> but what that did uh, for the first year of our ministry I think has been very significant and it's it's really changed I think our perspective too it's really had a, an effect on us how like how do you think that that's impacted like your ministry there at, at your church like in what ways have you seen kind of some some outworking of that I don't remember names very well you know that yeah. Jim <laughs> I struggle with just remembering names right. working hard at memorizing and learning the names of the people at Parkside has been a goal that I had for the first six months. And I had the pictorial directory, and then we'd have people into our homes and just, hello, hi, how are you on Sunday mornings for me is a real challenge. But mm. I think that that is significant to know people. Isn't that so funny how important that is to people? I've had multiple people tell me the reason that we came back is because the second week you remembered my name or somebody came up to me and greeted me by name. And it's like, it's just such a little thing, but I think it speaks to that desire that all people have to belong to their church community. And and that's, again, where our involvement in the small local church can really kind of meet those needs and connect in that way. Yeah. I love the um, name that God gives his son in Matthew 1, where he says that he's sending his son incarnate and his name will be Emmanuel mm -hmm. God with us and I think that that concept of God being present with us is more than just theology yeah. I think we need to bring life to that and so uh, I think we need to connect eyeball to eyeball mm -hmm. and I've been really trying to train myself I I don't have it's it's a real struggle for me when we do ministry on Sunday mornings to be prepared enough so that I can look people in the eye and be slow enough in my tempo of life mm. to say to them, hi, it's great to see you, and mean that, and not have everything else that I'm trying to think about for the morning to yeah. say, you know what, the most important thing is the souls that come in to this place by way of the building. Absolutely. That's, to me, the, the value. Yeah, I try <clears throat> every Sunday morning to 
I get there early enough that I can kind of go over my notes, you know, make sure everything's set. But then I just try to take some time to just center myself and yeah. just pray. And my prayer is almost always, God, help me to be here. Help me to be present, present. so that yeah. when I leave my office, I can just spend time welcoming people, seeing how their weeks have been, and and everything else is not spinning you know that will happen once the service gets started and I, and I start to think about where I'm gonna you know how I'm gonna say what you know I should have been planning to be saying or whatever <laughs> but that importance of just like being present, present. is so critical to, to that yeah and you both are the pastors of your churches but you also have teams of leaders and I know, Gary, that's one of the things that you really tried to develop in your first year or two of ministry is working with your elders to say, this is not a one-man show no. when it comes to caring for people. Uh, can you describe those efforts a little bit, how you've uh, gotten your elders on board with some of this house-to-house yeah. uh, -house ministry? Yeah, what we've done, Matt, over the last... Um what three months is we've challenged our elders especially but we've opened it up to everybody in the congregation but especially our leadership and we said can we visit all of our people in our congregation and so what we did is we took a Wednesday night for three months and we said let's put teams together of two we'll send you out in twos <laughs> again these were elders but let's open it up so we had 33 teams of twos go out for a period of three months and what we did is we went out and we tried to visit every family of the congregation our goal a half hour we went into their home and we had the secretaries prepare the the meetings so they knew we were coming we would we were very tight with our time we were there to pray a blessing of grace over their household hmm. <laughs> and so we walked in first five to ten minutes you know it's just getting to know, talk about pictures on the walls and, and seeing the environment that they live in. That to me is really important. And then, can we just take a moment and pray a blessing of grace over you and your family? And they knew that that's why we were there. We weren't asking of them for anything. In fact, we told them, don't provide any refreshments. We don't want you to do anything. We don't want you to clean your house. We told them up front, <laughs> you don't have to clean your home. And, and that's not. I think if my wife knew the pastor were coming or an elder, people were coming, there would still be some. There would be they cleaning. Would, there would be some would cleaning. Well, right. And so we would pray a prayer of grace over them, and we would try and leave within that half hour. And so we had two visits for every team that went out. And the significance of that was just really dynamic. Did you find that um, people were uneasy? Because it, we just don't live in a culture where that happens anymore. And so, That's right. you know, I get uncomfortable thinking about what am I going to do going to visit somebody's home. I imagine people do as well. So, like, how, how did that work out? Were people uncomfortable? How did you oh, get over yeah. that? Were you uncomfortable? Well, uh the first issue is we had a number of people in our congregation say, no, um, that's okay. You don't need to come visit us. So you dusted off the dirt from your sandals? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and our goal was to hit all of our yeah. uh, families. We had, I think, 69 families that we visited. Wow. Uh, times, what, two or three, you average that out. We had about, what, 200 and... We had about uh, two-thirds of our congregation because we have about 450 people that call yeah. Parkside. But we have two to f 250 to 300 on a Sunday morning. Sure. So, you know, we hit probably two-thirds. But there are a number of families that said, no, we don't want you to come. Mm -hmm. 
and our secretary, I know when we uh, talked about some of those conversations. They get a little asterisk by their name yeah, somewhere. Yeah, let's put a little star by them. Well, we've got their mark. What do those star mean? <laughs> oh, nothing. <laughs> so there was a resistance. That. There really was. Why do you think that is? I, I think in the culture that we live in, I think even opening our homes up is we don't eat together. Yeah. We don't typically open our homes up. And so I think that that's, but again, that connectedness of being able to say, you are valuable and we want to know you, not just in the walls of the church, mm -hmm. but we want to know you in your surroundings. And so that is that was a huge step. And even some of our elders that were really, one elder in particular was really, you know, I'm not sure I want to do this. He came back after the first couple of weeks and he said, this is just... I didn't expect the people to be this responsive. And his, his uh, response to the people was very positive. It's just such a good reminder that as pastors, we're not leading a church service, but no. we're called to be in the lives of these people and, like you said, be incarnational. And that's where they are. And it's so much more than just the hour, you know, two hours that we spend on a weekly basis. That's Isn't that awesome. what the pastor is? I mean, the word means shepherd, right. and so you're caring for people. There's all kinds of nurturing yeah. connotations that go into that word. There's there's um, health. Uh, there's a, a sense of the health of the flock and of each individual member of the flock yeah. and, and knowing them well enough to know what they need and then crafting ministries to reach people on the basis of those relationships. One contact in particular, we had a family that had left the church for a number of reasons. We had a chance to go back into their home after about three or four years of hurt. This lady shared some very significant hurt. You can almost see it in her demeanor. Mm -hmm. And she was sharing tears, weightedness of disappointment that happened by way of just the church and the relationship with her and her family. And as she spilled and put that on the table, you could almost see that liftedness of, mm. of and the next Sunday, wouldn't you know, she and her family were there in church. <laughs> and that doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to happen, but that But that couldn't have happened <clears throat> unless exactly. you had no, had that visit. There's right. no other venue in which that could happen. She's not no. going to come up to you after your sermon no. and get really vulnerable like that. No. One of the things that I think is really cool about how you did that, because I think, at least in my context, as I reflect on, that would be great to do that. I think that would be great to do that, but that means, you know, adding this to my schedule or taking this off my schedule or, you know, whatever, right. is that you utilized your elders in a way that I think is very reflective of the scripture so that yeah. you that was truly a shared leadership experience and I think yeah. maybe for people listening and for myself if if we were wanting to engage in something like that it seems like that's a really key component that, to make that yeah. happen and here's the thing Jim in view of the bigger picture though we are looking to take our elders and we want we're expanding some of their responsibilities mm -hmm. in that this is part of what we're asking our elders down the road to consider doing in fact we're we're asking our elders not the five that serve on our board but the 12 to 15 elders that are part of our congregation mm -hmm. 
we're asking them to step forward and to be elders for life, mm. which we believe is biblical. But just because you sit on this committee mm. is not what makes you an elder. You are a shepherd and an overseer of the needs. And so what we're doing right now is we're structuring and we're putting every soul Every Soul Matters is one of the themes that we're using for our elders. Every Soul Matters, we're giving every elder 30 to 40 people that they're going to shepherd. One of the responsibilities is going to be to go into their homes once a year, just as an accountability to say, and so what we're doing here for these three months is basically something that is much bigger yeah. and broader. And kind of awesome. giving them basic training of how to do this. That's kind of what it was, man. Did they know that? No. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise! Surprise! Remember when we did you this thing? You were so good at that. We have another opportunity for you. Exactly. You can do this, but yeah, some of them. Right. And here's the other thing: is that when we go out in twos, I was connect. We were connected with other people every week. So as the teams were put together, we we tried to put teams together differently so that we were able to talk and share and get to know one another and that's the other part of the connected there's relational dynamics among the leaders that are that well, are in play there's accountability there's a, a freshness and a newness it's a win-win um, yeah it really is well that's really fantastic thanks so much for sharing that we could talk for hours absolutely we probably will this is fun stuff <laughs> we have uh, kind of a stock and trade question that we want to finish off this segment with and we'll ask our future guests as well what is the most fulfilling thing to you about pastoral ministry and also what is the least fulfilling thing or what's the hardest what's the grind earlier Jim said filling out my expense reports <laughs> is the worst thing about pastoral ministry but uh, how would you answer those questions boy um, again I'm going to go back to Eugene Peterson's uh, observations I think carrying out the call of the call of this is what God has placed on my heart to do pastoral ministry. The the fulfillment of that comes in a lot of different ways. Um, and so I think fulfilling the, the call, but also the grind of the call. <laughs> Uh, for example, you know, having somebody come into your office on Monday morning, like I was sharing earlier before we started this discussion, and having somebody just give you a critique of mm -hmm. what happened yesterday <laughs> in Sunday service, that's a grind. And mm -hmm. sometimes that is a real difficult thing, the discouragement of Tuesday is my worst day, Monday, you know, you're living off of some of Sunday's event of meeting with the people but Tuesday is is the biggest challenging day for me uh, mm. because I'm coming down off of some of that and just the uh, some of the challenges of carrying out that call Sunday is coming yeah and you know Get what the week seems hours. like it's only four days mm. by way of the length doesn't it yeah. you know by way of oh Sunday's only yeah. <laughs> a day away <laughs> And we say this to each other, my wife and I, when we get done with Sunday last night, we sit it again, <clears throat> another brick was laid. That's such a, a cool picture of the overarching scope of your ministry. Ministry doesn't happen on one Sunday, but ministry happens over the slow progress of That's years of, of building. Yeah, because God ultimately is building his church, right. the people. And we only have a slice of being able to be a part of that. It's not our work. It's his work. And because of that, 
he's laying the bricks and he's laying the foundation yeah. and it's all on the Lord Jesus Christ, right. the foundation. I mean, we, right. we know some of those passages, but that's the joy of being part of the bigger picture of what God is doing in his work today. Well, thank you so much for joining us and, and sharing your call and your passion for pastoral ministry. Um, you're just a tremendous example to us and uh, we appreciate your faithfulness to the call. Thanks for listening to the Pastoral Calling Podcast. Make sure to check back in two weeks for another episode. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at pastoralcalling at gmail.com.